American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time to When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of. Not just another episode, episode 51 of American Timelines. I'm Amy. And I'm Joe. And we are History for Jerks. All right, that, I don't know what you're doing, Amy. And I am the best part of the podcast, no, except we, for Amy. Now, we've had this discussion. <laughs> okay, and this is the podcast that brings you all of the crazy, weird things, scandals, Mm-hmm. R.I.P. New, uh, news. Whatever that Strange, is. Strange, like when, rest in peace, like somebody dies and we talk about oh. it. Odd news, quirky things, things that would have went viral if viral could have happened okay. if there was a social media. That's right. And, and uh, tonight we are. And then Amy will take a deep dive into a murder or a, a UFO abduction or something crazy. All right. And tonight we are talking about the end of 1978. Yes, this is our last 1978 episode. The third of the three. Yep. And we got a lot to cover, so we don't have time to just babble and explain. If you don't know what the podcast is about, go back to the previous 50 and listen to all those, and you'll, you'll, you'll get it eventually. I would skip the, maybe the first six or seven, or maybe ten. Well, those are some of our best stuff. Do you think? I think they're, <laughs> I don't want to listen. I think this audio quality was probably bad. Yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't do any research. Yeah. yeah. We were just fucking around. We were just, and we are still. We just still are, around. yeah. At least that's, that's yeah, at least that hasn't changed. So we left off in July, I believe. Okay. And so the first thing I have here that I don't think we talked about is uh, Tuesday, July 25th, 1978, Louise Joy Brown. Is an English woman known for being the first human to have been born after conception by in vitro fertilization. Oh, the yes. first one, the first woman. So yep. I looked her up. She was born at Oldham Oldham General Hospital in Oldham by planned C section. Oldham. 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 No, those neither of those sound correct. O l d h a m. How do you say it? Oldham. Mm. Oldham. Anyway. She was is a plan C section delivered by John Webster. She weighed five pounds, twelve ounces at birth. Her parents, Leslie and John Brown, had been trying to conceive for nine years. Leslie faced complications of blocked fallopian tubes. Okay. Uh you said that's in England? It says an English woman known for being the first human. So in England. Women. Oldham General Hospital probably. Um Cool thing is, uh, hold on a second. Uh, you know, the guy who helped do it all won a no- Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. Uh, the process was developed by Patrick Steptoe and Robert Edwards and Gene Purdy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, in 2010, he was awarded a no- Nobel Prize. Edwards was. He was the only one left alive. Uh, so, although people call her a test tube baby, mm-hmm. her conception actually took place in a Petri dish. 
And her younger sister, Natalie Brown, was also conceived through IVF four years later. She became the world's 40th child conceived that way. That's that's amazing what science can do. Yep. And so Leslie Brown grew up, or uh, uh, Louise Brown grew up and married a nightclub doorman. Mm -hmm. So good thing they went to all that length because she married a nightclub doorman. The the offspring did. Yeah the, yeah the the first baby oh, born yeah. grew up to marry a nightclub doorman she, named so Wesley she, Mullinder. So she lived her life. She lived her life out to marry a nightclub doorman. Yep. Yep. All and right. she had a baby naturally. So boom, she didn't even need it. So there you go. What's next? <laughs> you don't want to talk more about the nope. nightclub doorman? Nope. Friday, July twenty eighth, nineteen seventy eight. The third highest gro- grossing movie of the year mm-hmm. was released. Mm-hmm. Set at a 1962 college, Dean Vernon Warmer is determined to expel oh, the entire Delta Tau, Chi, Delta Tau Chi fraternity. Yep. But those troublemakers have other plans for him. Robot House stars John Belushi, Karen Allen, and Tom Holchi. Hulse. Hulse, you think? You know who I he think is? It's, yeah. I don't think he ever did anything else, did he? Yeah, he was Amadeus. Oh, he was? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. That is the same guy. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know what his name was. Yeah, that's the guy from Animal mm-hmm. House. That's crazy. Okay. John Belushi's performance in the cafeteria scene was entirely improvised. When that's he, awesome. When he began piling food on his tray, director John Landis urged the camera operator to, operator to stay with him. The infamous I'm a zit gag was also improvised, and the reaction from the cast is completely genuine. Hmm. Donald Sutherland was so convinced of the movie's lack of potential that when offered a percent of the gross for a flat fee of $75,000 for his three days' work, he took the upfront payment. God, can you imagine 75 How much for three days' work? 7500 he, he could have taken a percentage of the gross or the flat fee of $75,000. $75,000 for, three, $75, for, three, days for three days. Yeah, we think that's a lot. But if he had taken the percentage deal. Oh, yeah, it would have been more. It would have been uh, worth an additional three to four million dollars. Oh my God! For three days' work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Can you imagine that? And the hole John Belushi makes in the wall uh, with the guitar was the only physical damage incurred to the house during the entire production. Instead of repairing it, the fraternity that actually owned the house placed a frame around the hole with an engraved brass tag to commemorate it. I bet. I bet that's still there. And and this was Kevin Bacon's first role. But was it really? Yeah. What I'm trying to remember. Wh- and when he went to the premiere, it? he wasn't allowed to sit with the rest of the cast. Because he was too young? Because the ushers didn't believe he was in it. He had to sit in the back with everyone else. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Kevin Bacon. And then he probably said, you know, someday people can be playing a game. That's right. Uh, connecting all the damn movies I'm in because I'll be in everything. Jerk. Yeah. That's probably what motivated him. Because he felt like, hey. This is before he, apparently before he was on Friday the 13th. That was 1980, right? Was that him? Friday the 13th, I never got into that one. Yeah, we talked about Kevin Bacon being in it back oh, in uh, season two. Okay. I don't remember. Are you taking turns? You, you going to just do that? Keep going back and forth between those two beverages? I'll form of beverages. Got to stay hydrated when you drink delicious beer. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. That beer that I'm drinking is from Columbus. Okay. It's called uh, Hazy Jane. All right. Okay. All right. And then on Saturday, August yep. 12th. We got a new number one single on the Billboard charts. But it's rocking. Do you have any idea what it is? Nope. 
Not with any without any clues. The new number one song on the Billboard chart is a song by American soul group The Commodores. Once, twice, three times a lady. Yes, from their 1978 album Natural High. It was produced by James Anthony Carmichael and the Commodores. It was the only Motown song to reach the top 10 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 that year. Really? It was the Commodores' first Billboard Hot 100 number one hit, topping the chart for two weeks on August 12, 1978, and it also went to number one on the Soul chart for two weeks. Okay. The song spent three weeks at number one on the adult contemporary chart. Here is the Commodores. Three times a lady on Soft Rock FM. Yeah. I'll be back in just a moment with my shirt off. With and Weather on the Eights. Weather on the Eights. We're going to have sleep tomorrow. <laughs> and I have diarrhea in my pants. All right, you better turn that off. Fair use, babe. Feet times a maiden. Uh, no, so I I think something else I've looked up that with the whole fair use thing. Yeah. We might be good because um, if you're talking about a song and oh. their historical significance, I think you're good. Oh, really? So I think because we're talking about these, I think we're not using them for like the yeah, we're not playing music yeah, or something or else. intro music or or theme songs or anything. I could be way off. Oh, and here's where I messed up too. This is where I got. Remember, I said I had some songs out of order. Yeah. Um, I had that one first, but this next one was actually before it. Uh, let me cue it up. And I'll just splice them in the right order. On August 5th. Yeah. 1978, the Rolling Stones yep. take over the number one spot on the one. Billboard chart with. <laughs> Do you know the name of it? <laughs> Written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Oh God, it's on the tip of my tongue. The name of the song. They have that extended version called the special disco version. What's it called? I can't remember. Miss You. Oh, it's called Miss You. It was written by Mick Jagger, jamming with keyboardist Billy Preston during rehearsals from the March 1977 El Mocambo Club gigs. Yeah. Recordings from which appeared on side three of the double live album Love You Live. This is a good song. It is a good song. It's one you don't hear very often. Uh, unless you live in Toledo. It's on 104.7 WIOT. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Which their billboards usually say. Does anybody really live and li listen to the radio anymore? I don't know. Probably. Uh, yeah, people go to like <laughs> these kind of like people go to classic rock concerts probably do. They're, listen to the radio yeah, still? Guys have tattoos on their forearm. Yeah. And smoke cigarettes. They still listen. Jagger Steve and Bishop, Ronnie. You just. <laughs> Yeah. You just described Steve Bishop. Jagger and Ronnie Wood insist that Miss You wasn't conceived as a disco song, while Richard said Miss You was a damn good disco record. It was calculated to be one. So we don't know who was right. In any case, what was going on in discotheques did make it to the recording. 
Charlie Watts said. A lot of those songs like Miss You uh, were heavily influenced by going to the discos. Oh, it doesn't sound like a disco song at all. But like I said, they had a disco version. Yeah. This is a little disco-y. Yeah. The bass. This is disco, yeah. The bass is Come on, I can see the white bell bottoms. Yeah. French kissing some lady, being all sweaty. Everybody's got coke in their mustaches. That's right. That is right. Okay. Um, And then on August, Saturday, August 26, 1978. Mm -hmm. We're going right to the music again. We have another number one. You say, what? what's the date? August 26th. Okay. Saturday, August 26th, 1978. Whoops. No, August 26th, 1978. Oh, yes. To go with the movie. You know who wrote this? Frankie Avalon? No. Performed by Frankie Valley. Oh, Frankie Valley is who I was thinking. But you know who wrote it? I used to. The same guy who wrote every other song this uh, year. Um, God, what was his? What was the name on? He's got a beard. And he makes out with his brother. Oh, Barry Gibb. Mm-hmm. Ro- wrote yeah, this song. He wrote this song. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yep, I didn't think you did. That's why I was guess made you guess. Because I studied that album so thoroughly with all the pictures. You know, how it opened up like a yearbook. Yeah. And there was all the pictures all on the inside. Yeah, right, and yeah. I studied that album so intently that I thought... Barry Gibb wasn't would, on there, was he? Not that I remember, but it must have been. This track was specifically written for the 1978 musical motion picture. It was not used in the stage production of Grease. No, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, it's a pretty cool song. Did Grease... Grease was new on... Bro- when, when did Grease come, come out on Broadway, I wonder? Oh, um... That's a good question. The 1971 musical is set in 1959. In 1975, Keith Moon began a relationship with Swedish model Annette Walter Lax, who later said that Moon was so sweet when he was sober that I was just living with him in the hope that he would kick all all this craziness. She begged Malibu neighbor Larry Hagman to check Moon into a clinic to dry out, as he had attempted to do before. But when doctors recorded Moon's chemical intake at breakfast, a bottle of champagne, Cavassier, and amphetamine, they concluded that there was no hope for his rehab. In mid-1978, Moon moved into Flat 12 in Mayfair, London. Yeah. Uh, and he was renting from Harry Nilsson. Cass Elliott had died there four years earlier at oh, the wow. age of 32. Nilsson was concerned about lending the... F- uh, letting the flat to Moon, believing it was cursed. Jeez. Pete Townsend agreed, assuring him that lightning wouldn't. Or t- Pete Townsend disagreed, assuring him that lightning wouldn't strike in the same place twice. After moving in, Keith Moon began a prescribed course of hemenevrin, mm-hmm. which is a sedative to alleviate his alcohol withdrawal sy- syndromes. God, you do. You would need a sedative, I oh, would yeah. think. He, just, yeah. I don't know why they don't do that to everybody. Just knock them out, let them sleep through it. Yeah, to get their withdrawal done. Yeah. Put them in a coma. <laughs> I wonder if that is the best way. Oh, my God, that's delicious. All right. Uh, he wanted to get sober, but due to his fear of psychiatric hospitals, he wanted to do it at home. Clometh- clomethiazole is discouraged for unsupervised detoxification because of its addictive potential. Its tendency to induce tolerance and its risk of death 
and mixed with alcohol. Gee, so it's just as bad as the other shit. That yeah, you shouldn't do it unsupervised at all. But he was afraid of hospitals, so they let him do it. The pills were prescribed by Jeffrey Diamond, a, f- a physician. You're gonna say Jeffrey Dahmer? <laughs> no, Jeffrey Diamond, a physician <laughs> yeah. unaware of Moon's lifestyle. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer. Here, take this, yeah. and then uh, I'm gonna cut off your dick. Yep. And put it in my freezer. put it in a soup. Uh, no, but Jeffrey Diamond, a D-Y-M-O-N-D, a physician who was unaware of Moon's lifestyle. Diamond prescribed a bottle of 100 pills, instructing him to take one pill when he felt a craving for alcohol, but not more than three pills per day. By September... Well, it was probably like opium or something. No, it's probably, yeah, just terrible. By September 1978, Moon was having difficulty playing the drums, according to roadie Dave Cy Langston. After seeing Moon in the studio trying to overdub drums for The Kids Are Alright, he said... After two or three hours, he got more and more sluggish. He could barely hold a drumstick. And then on September 6th. Is that 6th, the one where he passed out and the audience member had to go finish the drum solo? Yeah, yeah, it was one of them, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, it was him, wasn't mm-hmm. it? The yep. who? Yeah. Yep. On September 6th, Moon and Walter Lax were guests of Paul and Linda McCartney at a preview of a film, The Buddy Holly Story. Mm-hmm. After dining with the McCartneys at Peppermint Park in Covent Garden, Moon and Walter Lax returned to their flat. Mm-hmm. He watched the film, The Abominable Dr. Fibs, Fibes, I don't know, and he asked Walter Lax to cook him steak and eggs. He watched the film and asked Walter Lax to cook him steak and eggs. Mm-hmm. When she objected, Moon replied, if you don't like it, you can fuck off. Mm, lovely. These were his last words. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, okay. I'm going to make sure that's, those are my last words. Yeah, too. I'm going to say it to whoever else. Just fuck off. Uh, Moon then took 32 of the tablets that he was only supposed to take, no Jeez. more than three a day. When Walter Lax checked on him fo- the following afternoon, she discovered he was dead yep. on Thursday, September. Uh, no, Thursday, September 7th, okay. 1978. Keith Moon died in the same place as same Cass Elliot. That's weird. Same age, too, I think, maybe. Did we say his age? Yeah. No, I don't know. No, it wasn't the same age, I don't think. Okay. Because it's twenty six or something, wasn't? Isn't it like Jimi Hendrix? So and they Janis were all twenty seven. Twenty seven. They were all twenty seven. I think. I think Cass Elliot. Cass Elliot was thirty two. Oh, she was. Uh, I don't know how old Keith Moon was, but yeah, he took thirty two tablets. Yeah. So the number thirty two was cursed. And then on Saturday, September 9th, we have another number one song. Another number one song. On Saturday, September 9th. Oh, get down, boogie oogie oogie. Not, not get down. Just boogie oogie oogie. But I had this album. I had like a big album of these two girls. You know who sings this? Oh God, what were their names? The album is, t- is T- titled oh, "Taste of Honey." A taste of honey, great. That's right. uh, Katie and I would say, "I'm going to be her, and you be her." And <laughs> <laughs> this topped the American pop, soul, and disco charts, and eventually sold over two million copies, and has become one of the most recognizable Isn't songs weird? from the disco era. Isn't it weird the records that we had as kids? Like when I look back, it's like, why did I have this and an <laughs> yeah. ABBA forty-five and a King Tut with Steve Martin? Yeah, and what, Debbie Boone's "You Light Up My Life." You didn't have them. Your parents had them, and you just took the, a liking to them. Like they didn't I, buy them for you. I, no, I guess not. I don't know. I don't know where they came from. But I, mean, look, I had them in my re- my room and right. like, my well, record like, player. Look at our kids have CD. They have Weezer. Yeah, that's Guns true. and Roses CDs in their room. Yeah. We didn't buy those for them. That's we true. just CDs became extinct, and they. Yeah. We put them in a room somewhere and they took them. You can have them. Now you guys can have these, whatever. So that's what happened, I think. Yeah. Nobody bought them for us. Yeah. You just got whatever they had laid around. 
Which is scary to think about. Yeah, it's just whatever. Because, you know, when you discard something, just lay in there until a kid gets it. Yep. Uh, so this song was used in a national campaign advertisement by Burger King and was sampled by numerous rap acts. The song was also used in a campaign for rolled gold pretzels featuring Jason Alexander in the mid-90s. Oh. Nip Tuck used this. Narcos. All kinds of shows. Yeah. Uh, there's a list of songs that have used this. <laughs> I mean, movies that have used this song. Yeah, I'm sure. At Close Range, Barcelona, Contact, Breastmen, Mystery Men, Screwed, Canvas, The Nice Guys, uh, television shows, WKRP in Cincinnati, The King of Queens, Everybody Hates Chris, White Meat, Muppets, Tonight, Muppets Tonight, and Scandal. Also featured in the video game Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Okay. All right. And that's... That's that song. Okay. Do you like it? I do. I like this song a lot. Any chance you'll uh, start dancing? No. There is no chance. You know, our listeners, all they want is for you to dance a little bit. I don't think anybody wants that, honey. They do. No, they do. And they want a video uploaded to Instagram of you dancing. That is not going to happen. a boomerang. And then they want it on Twitter. Okay. Okay. Monday, September 11th, 1978. Janet Parker, a British photographer, was the last person to die of smallpox. Oh, my gosh. In Congratulations, Janet Parker. Yep. yep. And she was in Britain? Yep. She died. I'm so surprised well, it's not like a third world country or she, something. She died in 1978, many months after the disease was eradicated in the wild. She, contra- she contracted the deadly disease when a researcher at the lab where Parker worked accidentally released some virus into the building. Oh. Isn't that great? That's nice. Poor gal. She had researcher. nothing. She wasn't even a researcher. She was a photographer. She just happened to be in the building where oh some researcher fucked up. Oh, let me just move the smallpox. Oops! Oh, it spilled everywhere. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, well, hopefully. Oh, let me just wipe mop this up. Oh, gosh, I used my sweater. I just won't tell anyone for a while. I guess I better throw else. this sweater away. Oh, well, then I'll just give it to this lady over here. Well, serves her right. Yeah. For being a photographer. That's right. You know she you know gets. the risks. It's what she gets. When you sign up to be a photographer, you are always at risk of getting smallpox. That's true. It's, so. We've always said that. Yeah. Yeah, we have. We This has been actually a, a, a podcast to warn people. Yeah, and about warn smallpox. Photog- this is a photographer warning podcast. All right. What's next? Saturday, September 30th, 1978. We've got a new number. We're in the late. We're starting the fall. The fall's. In bloom in 1978, and we got a new number one single on the Billboard charts. It's just on everybody's radio. Yeah. Everybody's listening to this in their cars. What is it? It was written by Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin. It was included on the band Exiles album Mixed Emotions, and it featured Jimmy Stokely and guitarist J.P. Pennington on lead vocals. I know, I know it. I just keep waiting for the hook. What? Casey Kasem reported that Chapman stated his source and inspiration for this song was It's Ecstasy When You Lay Down Next to Me by Barry White. That's okay. right. What is it? Kiss You All Over. Oh, I want to kiss you all over. By Exile. I didn't realize that song was that old. This was the, the band's only big hit in the pop rock market. They would later have great success on the country music charts. Oh, boy. On Friday, October 6th, Midnight Express was released. Rated X. It was up for Best Picture. Yeah. 
It was about Billy Hayes, an American college student who's caught smuggling drugs out of Turkey and thrown into prison. Yeah. Is it rated X? Yeah. Oh. It is rated X. I uh, I don't know why. I've never seen it. I'm not sure why it's rated X, but it is. We we watched the preview, right? I can't remember if we did on this one. I don't. I um. Oh, okay. I do have a little more information about it. Let's see. Um. Directed by Alan Parker. Mm-hmm. Oliver Stone wrote it, starring Brad Davis. Oliver Stone wrote it. Yep. Starring Brad Davis. I, guess I didn't realize he was. Irene Miracle. He's pretty prolific. And Bo Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Isn't Dustin Hoffman in it? I don't think so. In a, in Am I thinking of a different movie? You're thinking of something else, probably. In an attempt to really get into character, Sir John Hurt stopped bathing for most of the 53-day schedule Ugh. and reeked so badly at times, most of his colleagues avoided being close to him. And that's worth being yeah, rated X right here. Yeah, I don't think this is rated X. I think you're I'm thinking wrong. of something else. Uh, Midnight something. Midnight Cowboy? With Dustin Hoffman, maybe. Midnight Cowboy, maybe. Midnight X. Rated cowboy. Midnight something e- midnight. with midnight. Midnight Express was a also a, a tag team, I think. Midnight Express. Well, that's neither here nor there. That is there. It is here and there. It is not. It is the Midnight Express. What tag team was it? Let's see. That's the most important thing. Look up Midnight Cowboy and just to see if that's what I'm thinking of. No. Because that's similar time. That's Midnight Express was rated R, so you were uh, wrong. So I'm thinking of definitely a different. I'm thinking of different. Uh, Midnight, of Midnight Cowboy, Cowboy Midnight I think. Midnight Cowboy. Let's see. Midnight Texas. I like seeing what comes up. Like I'm, I got M-I-D-N-I-G-H, and the, it thinks I want to say Midnight Texas, Midnight in Paris, Midnight Sun, Midnight Cowboy, 1969, Dustin Hoffman and John Boyd. Yeah, that's the one that's rated Oh, yeah. That's rated R. Oh, it's so you're wrong uh, about that. It was rated maybe X was, at some point. Maybe it was rated X because John Voigt and uh, Dustin Hoffman's 69. And no, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they might. They probably do. I don't think that happens. I'd pay for that. Mm, gross. All right. Saturday, October 14th, Jimmy Carter signed the bill that made home brewing legal in 1978. Illegal? Legal. Oh, legal. It became legal to brew at home. It took a. It didn't take effect. God, can you imagine though. the? Can you imagine the taste of the first home brewed in the seventies? Like the beer must have been awful. The home brewing of beer with an alcohol content higher than 0.5 percent remained illegal until 1978, when Congress passed a bill repealing federal restrictions and excise taxes. President Jimmy Carter signed the bill, HR 1337, into law, and then he slammed four beers. He jumped on the beers. table. He jumped on the table and did a little full monty. So people that were before that doing like having it was moonshine, illegal. It was like moonshine, moonshine illegal. And, well, and this is beer. Moonshine is not really beer. Oh, it's not. No. What's moonshine? It's like like grain alcohol or something. something. Yeah, something. Oh, like that. it is. I think. Would you ever drink it? Would you ever I have drank it. You've drank moonshine. Yes. When moonshine's huge down here, down here in the south, baby. Where who has moonshine? <laughs> Kevin Bacon, for one, has moonshine. I actually drank some of Kevin Bacon's moonshine. Wait a minute. Yes. What? I never told you about this? No. All right, so Kevin Bacon, the Kevin yeah. Bacon, who we talked about earlier yes. on this episode, uh, who was his first movie was Animal House. Yes. And we talked about him in a previous episode because he was on Friday the 13th. Yes. Kevin Bacon is a famous actor. People mm-hmm. pay the Kevin Bacon game. Yeah. Kevin Bacon also has a band with his brother. Yeah. Who is like, <laughs> it's like your typical star's brother, like... Uh, Clint Howard or yeah. uh, uh, 
uh, Brian Doyle Murray. His mm-hmm. brother is like not attractive, kind of chubby version mm-hmm. of Kevin Bacon. But they have a band together where they play they play guitars and sing. Oh, really? Whatever. Yeah, it's kind of like a folk band. Yeah. Nobody comes to see it though, okay. even though he's Kevin Bacon. So half the people probably come because Kevin Bacon. Anyway, so he was in a venue that I was working in at the time, and so. Uh, he had moonshine, uh, illegal moonshine that was brought in, which is a no-no. They're not supposed to do that. Why would he bring in moonshine? They made their own. Like, they they had what? somebody in their band or something that made their own, so they had some moonshine, so they That's shared it. bizarre. They shared it with a few people. They shared it with you? Well, yeah, because I think... Well, they didn't... They shared it with um, uh, an employee there mm-hmm. who then shared it with me. Oh, after they and what did hey, it taste like? It was, pe- it was peach flavored. Was it awful? No, it's just fine. It tastes like any other, like... Green alcohol? No, like any kind of, like, Patron. Uh, you know how they have that, like... Mm-hmm. What's that apple? What's that, like, apple flavored that people drink? Apple pucker or whatever that oh, people drink? Oh, like Stuff that? like that. Like, I don't know. It just tasted like liquor that was flavored. Flavored okay. vodka or whatever else. Anyway... I love craft beer. Have I, I, have I mentioned that? Yes, several times, hourly. Um, American Timelines is part of the Queen City Podcast Network. Sometimes we drink craft to beer together. It has nothing to do with this. No, we had a Queen City Podcast Network meetup at a brewery. Yeah. Oh, no, it wasn't a brewery. It was at a bar. Yes, it was. Yeah. All right. Hey, Shout out to Brian Baldasevich. Okay. move on. Jeez, somebody's in a bad mood. Saturday, October 4th. Oh, that same day that Jimmy Carter yeah. signed that bill? Yeah. Pilot Frederick Valentich. Valentich? Valentich. Oh. And his plane disappeared during a UFO encounter. What? You want to hear this story, baby? Yeah. Described as a flying saucer enthusiast. 20, oh, boy. 20 year old Valentich, he was only 20. Informed Melbourne Air Traffic Control he was being accompanied by an aircraft about 1,000 feet above him and that his engine had begun running roughly before finally reporting, it's not an aircraft. Ooh, and then he was gone? Then they, they yeah, they, he disappeared. They never found him. There were belated reports of a UFO sighting in Australia on the night of the disappearance. However, was, he, eight, was he flying in Australia? Yeah. Oh. However... The Associated Press reported that the Department of Transportation was skeptical skeptical a UFO was behind Valentich's disappearance and that some of their officials speculated, speculated that Valentich became disoriented mm-hmm. and saw his own lights reflecting in the water or lights from a nearby island while flying upside down. What? They think he was all disoriented and crazy and then yeah. he was flying upside down with the water above him and he was seeing the reflection of the oh. of his own lights and so he, that's what he's oh somebody's flying above me and it's that it's staying right with me it's weird is what's going on you know and then he crashed into water and that's i guess I, they never saw he he only had 150 hours of flying time it was authorized to fly was well, he was authorized to fly at night but only in clear conditions he failed several attempts to get his commercial license oh according to his so father he probably was flying upside down he's yeah he's probably <laughs> yeah and plus he was a big ufo yeah nerd According to his father, Guido, uh, he was an ardent believer in UFOs and had been worried about being attacked by them. Oh, yeah. He sounds like maybe a little schizophrenic. Yeah, going he's a little on. insane. Uh, 
Yeah, he radioed Melbourne Air Traffic Control at 7.06 p.m. to report an unidentified aircraft was following him at 4,500 feet and was told there was no known traffic. Uh, he was told that there was no known traffic at that level. Valentich said he could see a large unknown aircraft which appeared to be illuminated by four bright landing lights. He was unable to confirm its type but said it had passed about 1,000 feet overhead and was moving at high speed. Oh, man. Valentich then reported that the aircraft was approaching him from the east. <coughs> And said the other pilot might be purposefully toying with him. He said the aircraft was orbiting above him and said it had a shiny metal surface and a green light on it. He reported that he was experiencing engine problems. Asked to identify the aircraft, Valentich radioed, it isn't an aircraft. Oh, man. His transmission was then interrupted by unidentified noise described as being metallic scraping sounds before all contact was lost. I wonder what that was. Probably him crashing. Yeah. Or, but then a voice came on and said, "I am Rilon, yeah, the leader of the Galactic Empire." Uh, UFOlogists have speculated that UFOlogists have speculated that extraterrestrials have either destroyed his aircraft or abducted him, asserting that some individuals reported seeing an erratically moving green light in the sky. Wow! And that he was in a steep dive at the time. UFOlogists think these accounts are significant because of the green light. Um, That's pretty interesting. Yep. I think the only thing that makes it kind of possible is that other UFO sightings, I guess. Yeah. But, but then again, if you go on any given day, it's probably going to be UFO, UFO sightings. sightings yeah, people are always thinking they're seeing them. And maybe they are seeing them. You don't know. Yeah, and I then, know. Yeah. Any uh, more comments about that? I mean, I think that... I think I've heard that we can't be alone. They've decided that, like, if if a species, another species has come here, it can't be. It has to be a d- interdimensional travel because there's. Yeah, you they keep can't, saying that. That's what I read or heard or something, and so I don't know. I don't know if that's possible. Interdimensional. Did you Did you hear that on a podcast called "Hello from the Magic Tavern"? No. Where Arnie Neekamp fell behind a portal, no. magic portal. Oh, okay. That's a true, a true podcast. I think um, uh, October twenty third, mm-hmm. nineteen seventy eight. Neiman Marcus sold an all chocolate version of Monopoly. The entire what? set was edible. And then somebody left it in the trunk of their car. It was like, oh <laughs> shit, it's all melted. Yeah, but do you really want to eat? After you, oh, let's play a game of Monopoly, and, and now I eat all the pieces. On it. I don't want to eat that. Hotel after Everybody Mark's grubby hands, hands were all over it. it. Yeah, Mark was wiping his nose and then touching that no, that's, thimble, and yeah, now I'm going to eat it. Yeah, that's true. And how? Do, what about the like the the get out of jail free cards? Uh, they ran out of chocolate. Yeah, everything was, I guess. Apparently. So then you can eat your get out of jail free card after you get out of jail. Yeah, eat it. Oh, what happened? Oh, I ate my get out of jail free card. Well, you're like, doesn't count. Oh shit! I ate Park Place. Yeah. I was gonna have a Monopoly, yeah. but I ate Park Place. Damn it! Sorry, pal. I ate Ventnor Avenue. Can't have it. Can't get a Monopoly. Yeah. Saturday, October twenty-eighth. We got another number one single on the Billboard charts, ladies and gentlemen. Taking over the Billboard charts is Nick. Gilder. Nick Gilder. Yeah. He's a Canadian musician. This is a single from the album City Nights. Is this a Hot Child in the City? It is. Oh, is it a, a it, it's a guy that sings it, right? Yeah, Nick 
Gilder. It, he sounds like a woman, though, I think. I wonder if I have the wrong... No, that's Hot Child in the City. It says extended... Maybe it's a lady named Nick. No, I think it is a man. He just... The city. Yeah, it is. This is okay. Yeah. Despite the song's innocent and catchy pop stylings, yeah. the tune is based on Gilder's experiences witnessing child prostitution. Oh, boy. I've seen a lot of young girls, 15 and 16, walking down Hollywood Boulevard with their pimps. Their home environment drove them to distraction, so they ran away, only to be trapped by something even worse. It hurts to see that, so I tried writing from the perspective of a lecher. Oh, why the, would you want to write from the perspective of... In the guise of an innocent pop song. That's why would you want to write from that perspective? Apparently because the whole year was just yeah. this kind yeah. of garbage. It's true. Let's celebrate child porn and child prostitution. Yeah. Maybe it's just a reflection of society, I guess, so maybe we shouldn't be so mad, but at the same time, it's like... And I like this song, kind of. Well, do you still? No. And if Maybe. I know what that's what it's about. Hot child in the city. Ugh. I know. It's like Brooke, I'm thinking Brooke Shields. I know. I know. All the billboards. Calm, calm it down. Your mom told me she was all over billboards, nude. Yeah. Child porn everywhere. Yep. I'm sure glad I was only two in 1978, so I can't. You be can't. To blame you're for not culpable. I'm not, but your parents sure are. And so <laughs> is my mom. Well, my mom apologized. Though. She did apologize. So I'm just waiting on apologies from the rest of American society. Right. So, tweet your apologies to at History for Jerks. Okay. All right. Got Saturday, it. November 4th. Anne Murray. Oh, wait, got another number one song. I already gave it away. Oh, boy. Anne Murray. Yeah, you're going to love it. Oh, God. My dad loved Anne Murray. Yeah. <laughs> November 4th, 1978, Anne Murray takes over the Billboard charts. It was This song was first recorded by. Anne Marie, 1978. The song peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and revitalized her career. Oh, a I know After this song. several years of declining popularity, it became her first top 40 U.S. singles since her 1974 remake of the Beatles' You Won't See Me. She did. She remade that? Yeah. I, I didn't know that. Do you know what this song is? Yeah, it's... um. I, yeah. I can't remember the hook, though. It's called You Needed Me. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if I can make it to the hook. Anne Murray's terrible. Somehow You Needed Me? She just said it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not an Anne Murray fan. Lots of people in the 70s were. Yeah. My dad was always a, Anne Murray. Then play some Anne Murray songs yeah. now. <laughs> oh, Anne Murray. What? I love Anne Murray. Yeah. I'm going to drink a cold glass of milk with ice in it. Ooh, you drink boy. milk with ice yeah, in it? Yeah, he put ice cubes in his milk. Oh, oh. Joy used to do that. Nothing like a nice ice cold glass of milk. Ugh, it's so gross. I'm gonna eat some custard. All right. Later, I'm gonna make some slum gullion. As an impression of my dad. Rest in peace, Bob Hunside. Uh, rest in peace, Bob. All right. Anyway, next. Oh, we can turn this shit I'm off now. Trying to. <laughs> there we go. Uh, oh, and then we'll jump right to November 11th, 1978. Yeah. This is like the hit parade. We have a new number one song, all the way to December first. Oh yeah, this song is written. This and MacArthur Park. This one was yeah. is, is supposed to be one of the worst songs ever written. Well, it's so funny. It's written and composed by Jimmy Webb. Mm -hmm. Richard Harris was the first to record it in 1968. Did you know that? No. His version peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. Yeah. 
And it was covered by numerous artists, including a hit version in 1969 by Waylon Jennings. Oh, really? But the best-known cover is Donna Summer's disco arrangement from 1978. Yes. This earned Donna Summer her first nomination for Grammy Award for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. Really? It did? She was also nominated for Favorite Pop Rock Female at the American Music Awards, where her album Live and More took the award for Favorite Disco Album. Jeez. She became the first female artist of the modern era to have the number one single and album simultaneously on the Billboard charts. So I, I meant to, I accidentally left out something about the writer. He wrote the lyrics. Because the lyrics are awful. He wrote the lyrics. Someone left a cake out in the rain. He was in a park somewhere writing the lyrics down, and he just was writing everything he saw. Oh gosh! And so he saw that explains it. Yeah. Birds like tender babies in your hand. Shiny chickens? Checkers? Shiny chickens by the tree? Checkers by the tree? Oh, Chinese checkers. Chinese checkers by the tree. People playing that in the park. Yeah. What was melting in the dark? MacArthur Park is melting in the dark. All the sweet yeah, green so icing flowing yeah. down. Yeah. All right. So he saw somebody actually left the cake. So ridiculous. Yeah, anyway, that's dumb. So I'm going to go back a little bit. Okay, go back in the Wayback Machine? Go back in the Wayback. In the Wicked, 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 Wayback Machine? Yes. Wicked, 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 to March 17th, 1942. That's St. Patrick's Day. You didn't give me that date to look up television shows. Oh, it's 1942. We're going to get to the 40s. Oh, radio shows. I guess. I thought it was the same day. Maybe there was television. I don't know. Um, <laughs> when was television invented? You gotta ask your Google. Yeah, John Wayne Gacy was born. Oh, we're just gonna jump right into his yes, name, huh? In Chicago, now, Illinois. I will say earlier today you revealed that this is what you're doing. I, I thought John Wayne Gacy was the son of Sam. No, that was David Berkowitz. And we talked about that already. Yes. And who was the who was the Hillside Strangler? That was John Wayne Gacy. No, that was Kenneth Bianchi and Angela Buono. And who was the Night Stalker? I thought that was John Richard Wayne Gacy. Ramirez. Now, which one's John Wayne Gacy? Was he a fat guy? Yes. Oh, he was the fat guy. I thought he's he's the fat guy that the dogs were barking at. No, right? that's David Berkowitz. Oh, they're both David fat Ber- guys. Oh, they're both fat guys. Yeah, he's the clown. John Wayne Gacy's the yes. clown. Oh, I thought that was all one person. No. God, what? All right. So many murders. So he was born in Chicago, Illinois. He okay. was the I've second of three children and the only son born to John Stanley Gacy and Marion Robinson. Oh, he was an only child? That explains it. No, the it. only son. He well, was the, the second son. of three children. We used to live in Chicago. Yes, we did. From age four, Gacy was verbally and physically abused by his alcoholic father. You know, I think I'm sensing a pattern here. Yes, there's a little bit of a pattern with so, that. So just a quick American Timelines PSA. Don't beat your kids because they'll end up murdering everybody. That's right. Okay? Just don't do it. Don't beat your kids and don't, don't, don't have a head injury. Yeah, that's true. Despite the abuse, Gacy admired his father and constantly sought his approval. It's like that Munchausen syndrome. No. no What's the one not. where you love your kidnapper? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. You just love them no matter that you don't yeah. know that it's wrong that they beat the crap out of you and are mean to you. And in return, his father would hurl insults at him, telling him he was stupid and acted like a girl. That's great. When Gacy was seven years old, he was molested repeatedly by a friend of the family. God, what a great friend. Yep. He never told his parents about it, fearing his father would find him at fault that he was, and he would be severely punished. Well, it was his fault. When Gacy Just was a, kidding. 
you know, when Gacy Sounds was in elementary school, he was diagnosed with a congenital heart condition, which limited his physical activity. Holy crap. And as a result, he became overweight and endured uh, teasing from his classmates. Oh, uh, poor guy. At age 11, Gacy Jeez. was hospitalized for several months at a time after experiencing unexplained blackouts. His father decided Gacy was faking the blackouts because the doctor was unable to dis diagnose wh why it was happening. <sighs> After five years of being in and out of hospital, it was discovered he had a blood clot in his brain, which was treated. Holy shit, poor guy. So everybody's treating him like shit. He's got all this stuff wrong with him. They're making fun of him because he's fat because of the things. Mm -hmm. And he's molested and he's beaten and abused. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. I, I'm not, I'm yeah. not um, advocating for the movie minority report to become a thing right and you can't predict what's going to happen with people but all of these murderers have all had lives like this like say you get to this point before not all of them jeffrey Dahmer had pretty normal oh he did mm -hmm. well relatively it, well he gets to this point like is it safe to assume he's going to be a murderer so can we just like lock him away now no, you can't Put him do in that. jail before he does anything. Because a lot of people have this kind of stuff go happen in their lives, and they don't grow up to be. Oh, they do. Anything yeah. bad. You're right. There's probably a bunch of people that have yeah. all that. There's probably somebody listening right now being like, "Yeah, I had all that. Yeah, I right. Kill nobody. Right. Exactly. I'm just a, I'm just a guy who blows glass. That's right. On the weekend. But Gacy's delicate health issues failed to protect him from his father's drunken wrath. He received regular beatings for no particular reason other than his father disdained him. After years of abuse, Gacy taught himself not to cry. This was the this was the only thing he consciously ever did that he knew would provoke his father's anger. By not crying? Yeah, no, crying, crying would provoke would, yeah. it. Gacy found it too difficult to catch up with what he had missed in school while hospitalized, so he decided to drop out. His being a high school dropout solidified his father's constant accusation that Gacy was stupid. At the age of 18, Gacy was still living with his parents. He became involved with the Democratic Party, and worked as an assistant precinct captain. So why would he live with them? Why wouldn't you go immediately at 18 yeah. like, get the fuck out of there? It was during this time that he began to develop his gift for gab. He enjoyed the positive attention he received in what he felt was a prestigious position. But his father quickly squelched whatever good came out of his political involvement. He belittled Gacy's association with the party. He called him a party patsy. Gacy's years. Wait a second. We talked about this, right? Him working in a political office of somebody. No, that was Ted Bundy. Ted there Bundy was, Ted was a Republican. Bundy did that too. He was a Republican. Yep. And they all. God, this is so weird. I know. We've never talked about John. Who no. Was this? John Wayne. John Wayne Gacy. Never talked about him. Gift so, of gab. Gacy's um, years of abuse from his father finally wore him down. After several episodes of his father having refused to let Gacy use his own car, he had enough. He packed his belongings and escaped to Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, good. He got away. And everything's fine in the end. And nothing ever else happened. Um, well, he was happily ever up. after. Buckle he up, had babe. a nice lady he met or a nice fella. In Las Vegas, Gacy worked for an ambulance service for a short time, but was then transferred to a mortuary where he was employed as an attendant. He often spent nights alone at the mortuary where he would sleep on a cot near the embalming room. Oh, boy. He's going to bang dead bodies. On the last night that Gacy bodies. worked there, he got into a coffin and fondled the corpse of a teenage boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, let me think about this. If I'm being honest, mm -hmm. I mean, hasn't everybody fondled a dead <laughs> body of a child? Lord. Just kidding. I know that's... Wrong. Boy, I'm so wrong. Afterward, he was so confused and shocked by the realization that he'd been sexually aroused by a male corpse 
that he called his mother the following day and now, wi- without providing details, asked if he could return home. Okay, what? Wh- <laughs> why? Why are we? Why is he appalled? As a like, is he less appalled if it's a female corpse? At least I'm not. I know. In the, uh, at least I'm not gay dead body. Yeah. Like her, I just dead body. Like, it was the lady dead body. Yeah. His mom would be like, yeah, that's fine. Right. Of course, the woman, of course, that makes sense. But it's a gay dead body. Now. Yeah. Now I'm, now I'm ashamed. That's right. Because of the 70s. So his father agreed, and Gacy, who had only been gone for 90 days, quit his job at the mortuary and drove back to Chicago. Oh, boy. That's a long drive. Back in Chicago. After you've just fondled yeah. a dead b- child. Yep. And back in Ch- Chicago, Gacy forced himself to buy the experience, to bury the experience <laughs> at the mortuary and move forward. Buy the experience. No. Despite not having completed high school, he was accepted at Northwestern Business College when he, where he graduated in 1963. Wait a minute. Northwestern took him without even graduating high school? That's what, yep. Boy, let's take anybody? I guess, back then. Isn't Northwestern's motto, that's okay, that's all right, that's okay, you'll work for us someday? I don't know. That's for the yellow people. Oh, it is? Yeah. He then took a management trainee position with the Nun Bush Shoe Company and was quickly transferred to Springfield, Illinois, where he was promoted wait, wait, to wait, a management wait, position. Wait, 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 wait. Did he drop? Wait, did he finish his business degree? Yeah. And then he got a job he graduated in a shoe in store? in 1963. Mm-hmm. Okay. Marlon Myers was employed at the same store and worked in Gacy's department. Marlon Myers, y'all. The two began dating, and nine months later, they married. Oh, two dudes? No, Marilyn. Oh, I said, you said it's Marlon. Mar- it's spelled funny. It's Marilyn, but oh, there's okay. no... Oh, so you made a simple mistake in reading something. Right. Okay, just a simple mistake. I accept that, yes. and I won't make fun of you okay, uh, good. for saying it wrong. All right, that w- that's a deal. I won't dwell on the fact that you said Marlon, and I assumed it, it was... It's a kind of weird spelling. Well, I once knew All a right. heavy security guy named Marlon, mm-hmm. and so I just pictured that guy and that and John Wayne Gacy and being married. That doesn't make sense. But now it's Marilyn. Yes. So I picture a uh, small, petite... Wrinkly lady. Okay. During his first year in Springfield, Gacy had become very involved with the local JCs, dedicating much of his spare time to the organization. Did you ever meet him? You were a JC. I know I was. I was a a Chicago JC, and so was he. Oh, so did you... No, he was... Run in the same circles? This was in the 60s and 70s, babe. Well, I know, but when you were a JC, were there big pictures of him everywhere? Yeah. Like, hey, we're just like him. He became adept at self-promotion, utilizing his salesmanship training to gain positive attention. That's good. He rose Sounds through like the JC's ranks. Yep. And in April 1964, he was awarded the title of Key Man. Do you think during his speech, uh, after accepting that award, he mentioned the fondling of the dead body? I think dead during child it, yeah. Body? Or shortly afterwards, at okay. least. Do you think he told his wife about, hey, during their vows, like, I to have and to hold, and I fondled a dead baby kid. Something like and that. let's get married. Fundraising was Gacy's niche, and by 1965, he was appointed to vice president of the J.C.'s Springfield Division. What? And later that same year, he was recognized as being the third most outstanding J.C. in the state of Illinois. So they, uh, I, it, I bet they have that in the history book somewhere. Yes. They have to have a yes. plaque somewhere with there his name on it. There is a photo of him with um, Rosalind Carter. He met. Really? Yeah. I think it was Rosalind Carter. So do you think the J.C.'s, like, in there, wherever their headquarters is, they... Have they deleted this from the records? They, or are they just they like, know, yeah, yeah. there's an asterisk? Or he murdered Probably a people? little asterisk. Okay. For the first time in his life, Gacy felt confident and full of self-esteem. Sounds like he's got a good path going. He was married, a good future before him, and had persuaded people he was a leader. The one thing that threatened his success was his growing need to be sexually involved with young male teens. No, not dead. So no more dead. Well, 
Well, oh gosh. Hold your horses. So just like gnawing at his brain, he's like everything's great. My life is perfect. I've got everything yeah. I need. I'm a success. Man, I want to. I I really loved jerking off that dead body. Yep, that's right. I want. I can't stop thinking about these children. After dating in Springfield, Illinois, Gacy and Marilyn married in September 1964, and then moved to Waterloo, Iowa where Gacy managed three Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants. Well, that makes sense. The next logical step. I bet uh, that was a fun wedding. Oh, he probably was rocking time. The newlyweds moved into Maryland's parents' home rent-free. Oh, well, that's you always got to go with that. I'm going to manage three Kentucky Fried Chickens and live in your house for free? That's making bank. Some good savings Think how much money you make. I know. Gacy soon joined the water. delicious chicken. He soon joined the Waterloo JCs and once again quickly moved up the ranks. In 1967, he received recognition as outstanding vice president of the Waterloo JCs and earned a seat on the board of directors. But unlike the sp- in Springfield, the Waterloo JCs had a dark side that involved illegal drug use, wife swapping, prostitutes, and pornography. What? <laughs> For real? The JCs? Yeah, the JCs. Like they're 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 like charity workers, mm-hmm. like doing good in the world, I know. and they're doing all that. Say it again: drugs and sex. Illegal and drug use, wife swapping, prostitutes, and pornography. Well, illegal drug use is pretty broad. Weed was illegal, so it could be that. That's, That's fine. The yeah, wife swapping, yeah. Who doesn't wife swap in their local in the in the nineteen seventies? In the seventies, yeah, it's yeah. the seventies. Yeah, every you were required to wife swap. Brooke Shields was a twelve-year-old in the movies naked. That's right, you were required. So Gacy slid right into the position of managing and slid right into regularly position. participated in these activities. Slid right into the position. Gacy also began to act on his desires to have sex with male teenagers, many of whom worked at the fried chicken restaurants he managed. Oh, gosh. Hey, Billy, you want to work at this KFC? All you got to do is yep. let me play with your balls. He turned a basement room into a hangout as a way to attract teens. Yeah, that would make sense. He would teens love basements. Did you ever see that seventy show? Yeah, that's all they would that's do. That's what this based. It's based on this. It's based on this. Oh, yeah, on on this. That seventy show is based on, on this. John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. Yep. All those kids were molested. JCs. JCs. <laughs> I think. I think. Would, pretty sure. He would entice the boys with free alcohol and pornography. Gacy would then take sexual advantage of some of the boys after they became too intoxicated to put up any resistance. And, you know, if I'm a young boy and I'm like, eh, I'm waiting the thing. I'm like, oh, it's free alcohol and porn. Yeah, yeah sometimes he does things to my balls and stuff. No. And, but free porn and alcohol. No, know, nobody's weigh weighing it. No, nobody's, nobody's weighing it. it. That's just a joke. Well, Gacy was molesting teens in his basement and doing <sighs> drugs with his JC's pals. Marilyn was busy having children. But at least he hasn't murdered anybody yet. She's no. having kids. He's got a nice family. If he can just stop Which doing Which means, and it always blows my mind, that there's children, John Wayne Gacy's children out there somewhere. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, he didn't he doesn't, he doesn't kill them and, and eat them or anything? No. Um, well, we haven't got any murders, right? There's been no murders. Not yet. Well... We've already spent almost a whole hour talking about this, so we're going to have to split another episode into two episodes, and we're going to have to come back and finish the John Wayne Gacy uh, next episode. Sorry, everybody, but we got to go because we're out of time. All right, that's it. We'll see you uh, next time. Seriously, right now, just go to uh, iTunes and give us a review of five stars and say something nice. Right, yeah, and and do all that stuff. And just take a couple seconds, vote us, vote for us on the. Uh, you have a few more days left to vote for us on the Queen City Podquest. Yes. Look up QueenCityPodquest.com. We're in this contest where if we win, 
the local NPR station has to has to help us <laughs> pr- has to produce our our show. So really, it's gonna be a joke for us to be in it because yeah. like they've been how great we gotta we gotta have produce this, these two jackasses talking talk about, about rim jobs and everything hair all the time. and pubes. Like we have to produce this. Yeah. So there's no way we'll win because we're we, yeah. But so vote for us for a joke and then get well, your friends. Well, a comedy you know. podcast could win. Yeah, a comedy podcast loosely. Po- a comedy podcast could win. But we're not really but a this comedy one yeah. on NPR for us to talk about. Like it's just. Oh. oh, that's good timing. It's time so, to end the song, yeah. Chuck Berry's walking in. Yeah, wait, let me turn that off. That's just my ringtone. Um, but comes, anyway, but yeah, here comes, comes Chuck, Chuck Berry. Berry. We'll so, see you later. That's, get not out even, of here. that's not even our outro song anymore, isn't it? Oh, it's not? Anyway, Matt Truman, Ego Trip is the greatest in the world. All right. I love all of you. of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.